Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 12 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 12. We've been working through the book of Matthew in a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. And church, what I'm hoping, what happens as we get through this book, that you would receive an entire download into your mind, into your heart of Jesus' worldview. You, can, you could literally put on his glasses and look through his eyes and see how he sees into a culture. What we're hoping to do, church, is extract the meaning of the book of Matthew written 2,000 years ago and bring it into the 21st century and have its meaning in our hearts and in our minds so that when we look into the culture around us, we can actually see how Jesus sees. We can see how Jesus, how does, what does the Lord think about this? Because man, it really, it, it really troubled me. We, we had so many arguments break out in 2020 and they bled into 2021. And it just is like, that's it. We gotta see what Jesus has to say. I wanna know, we got so many opinions. I'm, I'm confused, honestly. Even a pastor, it's just like, I got so many conflicting uh, uh, decisions here and, and opinions. I wanna know what Jesus, I wanna go right to the heart of the matter and see what he believes. And even if we are able to absorb 70 or 80% of what he is communicating through his gospel, think about how it transforms our view to be aligned with God, to be aligned with righteousness, and to walk in peace and to walk in rest because we choose to do so and looking through his eyes. We're only looking at five verses today, four or five verses today in our text, but this is sermon number 55 through the book of Matthew. And the title of the message is Jesus Must Be First. Jesus Must Be First. You know, family is a, an important part of our lives. For out of it comes forth so much. Our vision, really it, it shapes our lives. Um, whatever family you were raised in, whatever neighborhood you grew up in, it shapes you without even trying. It just does. And that's why family becomes very important to us. Even if we're bitter at our family members or upset, isn't it interesting whether we love them or have problems with them, isn't it interesting how much they still impact us to this day? Literally, whatever they did in the past to us, whatever neighborhoods we grew up in, whatever context we grew up in, all of that seems to shape our minds and our hearts, and then we're, in some cases, trying to reinforce the good things we received, and we're trying to tear down the bad things. Like, how do I break away from that mindset? I'm trapped in there. So much comes from family. And the good things, especially if you had a good upbringing or maybe you have found a new family that you know is warm and kind and the way it's supposed to be, we love our families. And if your friends are your family, you love your friends. But the fact of the matter is, is what I've concluded in life and what I'm seeing more and more, if I don't love God well, I can't love my family well. If I don't love Jesus first, I can't then love my family greater. And this is what the Lord talks about today in our text. 
He talks about who is my family? Who are those that love me? We are in Matthew chapter 12. Let's read verses 46 to 50. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Not mine. My words can never change you. I want to remind you of that. God's word will change you forever. This thing. I can motivate. I can, you know, I can challenge, but I can't change your heart and mind. Only God can do that. And that's why when we open the word of God, we come to him and say, Lord, help me. Sometimes you can't even change your mind, huh? You can't even change your heart. You're trying so hard, like, I just, I just want to do the right thing. I want to love this way. What I do is I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, change me. Help me. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Do what I can't. I need you. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 46 in our Bibles. It says, while he was speaking to the crowds, Jesus, he, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him. Now someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered, verse 48, The one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have preached, what you've said. And we ask now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and ears to know what this means for our life. How to apply this to our lives right now in this city, in this place. We give you this time. We ask you to speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we saw the Lord ask for a sign to prove he is who he says he is. Remember? They said, Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees, do a trick for us. Do a sign for us. And he said that they were evil and an adulterous generation always seeking for a trick and for the Lord to pull a rabbit out of the hat without following him. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't get any more signs. Matthew, Matthew, the author of this book, points out in this section that Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. Do you remember the beginning of chapter 12? That he is greater than King David. That he is greater than Solomon. That Jesus is greater than Jonah. And that he being the kingdom, or the king over the two kingdoms, he said to the people standing before him, you are either for me or against me. I am the king of all the kingdoms and the king of the universe. And there are only two real kingdoms, that of light and that of darkness. And I am the king of light. I am the king of this universe. And he says, you're either for me or against me. He desires us to have a heart fully given to him, even above family, devotion at the highest level, the Lord must be first. And I don't want to delay in saying that when we make the Lord first in our lives, 
We love our families far more and way better than we would making the Lord last in our lives. We say, Jesus is going to point this out in the text. You need to love me above family. We're like, what? My family is my everything. My spouse is my everything. My kids are my everything. Love him above. I'm telling you what he is saying is put me first. Seek me first and you will love your wife better. You will love your husband better. Put me first and you will love your kids better. You will love them deeper. You will see me working. You will love your friends better. You will love your extended family better. You will see them the way God sees them when you're with him, when you're walking with him, when you're close to him. But when you get away from him, when you get away from the Lord, we start looking through our own eyes again. I've told you this many times that I see it in my own heart. The default setting of my heart is sin. The default setting of my heart is me. The default setting of my heart is selfishness. The default setting of my heart is wanting my kingdom to be built. My kingdom. Not your will, but mine be done. It's kind of like the spa, you know, like, you know, when you go into those public spas or you go into the public sauna or steam room, you got that like that timer thing and you turn it, you know, and it's like tick, 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 right? It starts going back. This is what I, I, you have to do it almost every day to set the timer on God's kingdom. And it seems to just magically go back to my kingdom every day. I don't get it. Jesus is saying, set me first every day. Recalibrate. Get your life dialed on me every single day because magically it will go back to self. Maybe you've been close to the Lord before and you remember those days. It's been a while. I remember... The closest time I was to the Lord, I remember I was living in Mexico. I was there for four months. We had no distractions whatsoever, no TV, no news, no cars, no phones, nothing. We went out there to pray and seek God and read the word and worship and be alone and serve these handicapped orphans out there. It was completely set apart. My mind was completely, the dial was set. It was like, it was pegging. It was pegging red on the Lord Jesus every single day. And as my heart comes back into society, I'm distracted by so many things and I'm pulled away. But you know as well as I do, when you let that dial just go for like a year and you never turn it back, all of a sudden you say, why am I treating people this way? Why, why don't I hear God's voice anymore? I, I don't know the will of God for my wife anymore. I can't figure it out. My life is all over the map. I'm telling you today that it's time to turn the dial back to the Lord now. To set your eyes on him. This is what he's challenging the people before him. It says here in verse 46, while he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and her brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him little sidestep uh, from the immediate uh, context. I don't know if you see this in your Bible, but there's something very interesting here in verse 47. Some of your Bibles don't have verse 47. Does your Bible, can you raise your hand if your Bible does not have verse 47? There it is. Yeah. The ESV does not have, English Standard Version does not have 
this verse in there. This is Bible nerd stuff. Are you okay? The reason they left it out is because the over 5,000 manuscripts of the Bible, the ancient copies we have in other languages, majority of them do not have the sentence in there. Now, many of them do, and this is why we have the verse in there. Well, how did this verse get there? Well, when a scribe was translating or making another copy of the Bible by hand, in some instances, they would add very few, in very few instances, I should add, um, they, they would add something to bring forth its meaning. And this is the job of a scribe or translator to extract the meaning of the word and bring it into the newest modern language without changing the text whatsoever. It's like if uh, we have someone here who speaks Spanish and they also speak English, they're bilingual, they'll say something in Spanish, say it doesn't actually uh, translate perfectly into English, but um, it's like these two words together kind of mean that word. Or this is how you would say it in a phrase, because we kind of don't have that phrase in English, or vice versa, from English to Spanish. This is what the translator and the scribe is trying to do. And so the point is, it's very important for us to extract the meaning without changing the text. If you read the two verses and its context, you will notice with or without the verse, there, we still get the same meaning and idea. We aren't able to extract a different meaning, which is the important goal. And so that's why some of the translations have it and other ones don't. The ESV is, of course, trying to get closest to its, um, its, its anchor translation. And so that is why it's not in there. But this text is also found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 32, and it basically says the same thing. Again, Bible nerd stuff, thought you might want to know. Just listen to the two verses together. You'll see they're basically saying the same thing over and over. While he was still speaking to the crowds, verse 46, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Now someone said to him, behold... Your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. They just added that someone walked up to him and said that they were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Jesus is speaking to a crowd indoor, and someone comes up and whispers in his ear, Lord, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. Mom! Can't you see I'm in the middle of a sermon here? Jesus of Nazareth, get over here now or you're going in time out. All right, full name. Come on. Lighten up. No, but his mom and his brothers are seeking him out and notice they aren't in the room listening with the rest of the disciples in the church. They're outside. Hello. The Lord is speaking. Wouldn't you want to be in that Bible study? Like, oh, yeah, I'd be there. If I heard Jesus was speaking, I want to be there. Not his family. Interesting. This happens a lot with preachers, prophets, and even the Messiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, But I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Isn't that Yeshua the carpenter? Yeah, he built me a chair one time. It's a great chair. It's great. He's great at building furniture. No way he's the Messiah. Why, why would I listen to him? My brother is king of the universe? No way. Yeah, right. The Messiah 
is going to come down from heaven. He's going to come down from heaven, and that's how he's going to establish his kingdom. He's not coming from my mom. Mary, did you know that your baby boy was Lord of all creation? When you kiss that little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? My boy is a special, is very special to me. An angel told her, but he's not going to be hung in the town square as a criminal. Not my boy. Not going to happen. How did his mother not know? The family didn't see him as a prophet like families do. He's just a good teacher. I have experiences, of course, in my own life. That's just Josh. You know, he's one of the boys. He's one of the kids. It's amazing. I mean, the... I guess I am bragging a little bit now. Is that okay? <laughs> I, I grew up at Harvest in a church of 15,000 people. I've had the opportunity to preach before 3,000, 4,000 people crowds. I got to stand in the Billy Graham crusade here, right here in the Rose Bowl, 110,000 people in attendance and stand on stage and pray the closing prayer. Had the opportunity to do lots of cool stuff and stand before crowds and people for some reason magically want to listen to some of the things I have to say. I don't know why God picked me. I don't know why I have these abilities in me. I do it because I feel like I have to. I would much rather uh, be a builder and go surf and play music. That's what I love to do. But I do this because I feel like I have to. Because this is what God's equipped me with and given, given to me. And it's a joy when I see others come to know the Lord and understand him. But it's interesting when I talk to my family members, my grandma or my aunts and uncles, or I mean, my dad and my brother are very kind to me, but it's, it's just Josh, you know? I'm just one of the boys running around with no shoes on, you know? I'm just still that kid. And I know you see me different because the stage does that to you. But a prophet isn't known in his own hometown. If I go back and hang out with my high school buddies, you see me as the long-haired kid. I did have hair. <laughs> the, the football players, I was quarterback for the team that used to make fun of me. They called me cover girl because I had long, beautiful hair. Serious. They would walk up saying, easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. And I'd be like, stop it. <laughs> I am nowhere in any comparison. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. I'm his delivery boy. But it's interesting that even this prophet couldn't be known in his little family in his circle. It's a trip. Many scholars believe Jesus' family had not come to put full trust and belief in him yet as their personal Lord and Savior. His brothers have not asked him to forgive them for their sins as their Lord and their Savior. His mom, looking at her son, no longer as a baby boy, but her Lord and her Savior. There's a huge stumbling block in the mind, and it's hard for every parent and sibling to go from seeing their little babies to boys and girls to grown adults and peers whom they respect and take advice from. Think about that as a parent. 
I mean, I only have little ones now, but I've just seen it in families. It's hard for a parent to see even their grown adult son or daughter as a peer or someone they could take advice from and listen to because they've grown a little bit and have something to offer. It's a hard transition. It takes a lot of time. A lot of the young people here, yeah, I try to tell my parents they don't listen to me. And the older here is say, well, you know, they're still learning. They're making a lot of mistakes. You know, they don't exactly know what they're doing in life yet. They're 45. <laughs> so imagine the jump in the human mind from brother, yeah, that's my brother, to king of the universe. From baby in a manger to God of all creation. So when Matthew says they were outside, it is implied that they were outside of the fold of disciples. They were Jesus' family. They weren't one of his disciples, though. And they wanted to pull Jesus away from his preaching and mission because maybe they heard the Pharisees wanted him dead. And they weren't close enough to the Lord spiritually to know that he had come to the earth to die for the sins of the world and that he was on a mission for three years to pass all these teachings needed for the 12 apostles to plant the New Testament church, and then he was going to die. You think that his brothers and his mom would know the secret plan, right? Maybe he tried to tell them, and maybe they don't listen, or maybe they don't want to get close enough to actually ask those questions. Like, Lord, I saw you do that trick the other day, like that bird died, and then like you picked him, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jesus, Yeshua, my brother, come here. What, what were you doing with that bird the other day? It died, and you picked it up, and it just like came back to life. I saw that. What are you doing? Well, um, James, I'm, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm actually king of the whole universe. Yeah, I know, I know. You in the play, you know, in the synagogue, you were the king and stuff. But like, come on, this is real life. What are you talking about? You know, God is in heaven, you know? We, what are you talking about? No, no, seriously, like, in the next three years, as soon as I turn 30, I'm going to do ministry for three years on earth. I'm going to teach nonstop at the highest level, and I'm going to communicate to all the disciples. I'm going to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth, like, in front of everybody and then at the end of the three years, I'm going to die. But don't worry. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And then I'm going to raise from the dead. But don't worry, okay? I got this under control. You think that they would have the inside scoop. But they don't. Because they're not close to him. Jesus was probably one of seven kids. The oldest. We know that he had four brothers... They were named James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Four brothers. Jesus would make five boys, and we know he has sisters, plural. Matthew chapter 13, verse 56. So plus two sisters, plural, would be seven kids. Most scholars believe Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had died by this time. Of his ministry. You see, this context actually throws a huge wrench into the teaching of the Catholic Church that the Virgin Mary was a perpetual virgin. Perpetual virgin. No, sorry, she had six other kids with Joseph. That doesn't just magically happen. 
Matthew chapter 1 verse 24 to 25 says that Joseph didn't know his wife or have relations with her until Jesus was born. Listen, verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, Mary, but knew her not, no relations, knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Joseph praised God for that word from the angel, no sex until. Jesus is born and then game on. And they had at least six more kids. We discover in the Gospels that Jesus' brothers didn't believe him at first. It's found in John chapter 7. And it says, verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. John chapter 7. But praise God, after his death, burial, and resurrection, we are told in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that they all met together in the upper room and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and fill them to be able to be witnesses to that generation, and they did praise God. But many of them, we don't know the exact moment of conversion, but it could have been after the resurrection that they finally believed. We know James, the brother of Jesus, became the head of the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15. And it was a mega church in Jerusalem. Upwards of 25,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. And Jesus, brother James, would write the epistle of James. And he wrote this in James chapter 1 about his brother. James, he writes, starts his letter, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. His brother said that about him. He's my Lord. Praise God that his family came to know him personally as Lord and Savior. And I want to tell you today that if you're coming to church uh, because your family comes, I'm stoked you're here. If you're coming to church because your family raised you in it, I'm happy you're here. But you, even if your dad was a pastor, or even if your family was involved in ministry, you need to know that you have to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior to be in the family of God. Even his own family had to do so. And I'm telling you that you need your personal sins forgiven. You need your life personally impacted by God. You need to come to him by yourself and ask him to forgive you. You need to come to him by yourself and ask him to be Lord and Savior over your life. Yes, you. My dad was a worship leader in the church. And I remember that I had to come to God by myself and say, Lord, I yield to you. No longer my way. I'm not the captain of this ship any longer. You are the captain. You are leading me. I submit myself to you. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. I had to make that decision for my life, and I pray and hope that you would do the same today. With all of that context, the verses read a lot smoother, and it helps you understand now where Jesus is coming from. Look again at verse 46. Again, his family outside, trying to pull him away from preaching, not sitting amongst the disciples, probably not fully believing in him as personal Lord and Savior over their life. Verse 46, 
While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Verse 48, but Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand, verse 49, towards the disciples who were in the room, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. Here they are. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. He says, do you know who my mother, brothers, and sisters are? In the middle of his talk, he points to the disciples and followers in the room. He says, whoever does the will of my Father. Notice, he brought the room in the context of his Father. This is my family, who do the will of our Father. This is my family. The weight and clarity of what Jesus says is important. My family are those who do the will of God. Notice, not those who are related to me. Notice, not those who like my miracles and teachings. Not those who go to synagogue or church or think I'm a good teacher, but those who do the will of my Father. And this is how you distinguish between lukewarm believers on the fence, non-believers, and true believers. Those who are truly a part of the family of God are those who do the will of the Father. It's like a person saying that you're on the sports team, but we've never seen you on the field. No, 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 I'm on the team, trust me. Really? I've never seen you play. No, I'm on the team. Yeah, you keep saying that. You even shout it and you sing songs about it, but I've literally never seen you on the team. You've never been on the field. Why do you keep shouting louder and louder that you're on the team, but you don't even play? Makes no sense. That's what Jesus is saying. You can shout as loud as, you're want, as loud as you want that you're part of the kingdom of heaven, you're part of the family of God, but are you doing the will of your Father? The question I want you to ask yourself today is, am I doing the will of God in my life? I want you to ask yourself that. Am I doing the will of God in my life? Is God having his way in my life? Am I a disciple and follower of the Lord Jesus or am I still outside the door with other plans for Jesus in my life? Do you want his plan? Or you do, do you want him to do your plans? Not my will, but yours be done. I yield to you. It's hard to let go of control. We want to control our own plans and destiny. But I'm telling you to give it to a God and a Father who loves you so greatly and is ready to forgive and be gracious and bless you and walk with you. The greatest king in the universe, the greatest father in the universe, it is easy to yield to him because he's good. 2 Corinthians 13.5, the apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Test yourself to see if your faith is genuine. You've heard it before. I'll say it again. 
If you were to be put on the witness stand in a court of law and someone was to prosecute you, would there be enough evidence in your life to prove that you are part of the family of God? Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us examine and test our ways and turn back to the Lord. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, the psalmist says, Search me, O God. Please know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Search my heart, O God. Jesus says, my family are those who do the will of God. So then the question is, what is the will of God? So I can examine myself to see if I'm doing the will of God. I'm going to rattle off scriptures that tell you what the will of God is. Are you ready? I'll tell you this, an overlining arc of all of this to help you understand the will of God for your life, I'll tell you very simply, the very clear will of God for your life is his word. The will of God is what he has said. He has already told you, he's already told me, so now I need to understand his word and I will understand the immediate will of God for my life right now today. Listen to verses it is the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God, but there are specific verses that say this is the will of God. Here it is. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. What does that mean? It means do not live in the sinful ways and patterns of this world and culture. Instead, walk with God. Do not be conformed to this world. Church, in Jesus' name instead. Instead of being a thermometer, would you become a thermostat? You don't take the temperature of a room. You step into a room and change its temperature. You change the atmosphere and the culture by shining light into darkness. Everybody's getting super excited about hammering that person and gossip there at your workplace and everybody's spitting on them. And you say, actually, I remember when that person, they actually did this really nice thing for me. Everybody just looks at them like, what? How about we change the temperature in the room? And start to minister. Don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God. This is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God. That's hard, huh? Give thanks in everything. Every single thing give thanks. If you want to be a full person, a great person, be a grateful person. Be grateful, be thankful for what you have and what God has done. Good and bad, choose to be thankful. Full of joy, for this is will of God. 1 Peter 2.5, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It is the will of God that you do good to all people. Even that idiot over there, yeah. Do good. 
Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Blatant. For this is the will of God, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. What does that mean? Don't be given to the sexuality of this culture. Do not go in the ways opposite of the ways of God. Look at his design for sex. It's not lust. It's love. It's not porn. As our society lifts up in all of these movies and TV shows, that is damaging the mind and the image of what we see marriage is supposed to be. So then when you step into marriage, you think it's going to be like that. And then when it's not, it's just a show. You're like, there's something wrong with my spouse. Something wrong with my marriage. Oh, no. You were just brainwashed by the culture to think that that's the way it's supposed to be. You forgot to look at the will of God for marriage and family. If you allow the culture to teach you what sex looks like, you will find yourself in great despair because it doesn't meet the needs of your soul like they promise it will. Abstain from sexual immorality. Instead, be infatuated and overwhelmed and overtaken by the love of your spouse in Jesus' name. Block out everything else in the world and be completely given to one another in Jesus' name. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is that heaven would come down to earth. I love doing this. Often, trying to go on vacation in my mind to heaven, go and enjoy the vacation there in the culture, and then bring it back down to earth, back down to the city, right here in Studio City. If I could bring heaven into Studio City, what would it look like? What is the culture? Dude, the culture in heaven is incredible. Have you been to the island heaven? Oh man, it's sweet. The food, the people, the way they treat each other, oh, it's fantastic. You know, I've taken the, the, the heaven spirit, I like to call when you go to Hawaii, the aloha spirit. I've taken that spirit back here on the freeways of LA. I'm in the aloha spirit, baby. Let's relax. I want everybody to kick back and relax. It's okay. We need to bring heaven down. This is the will of God. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you and me not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The will of God. The Lord is not willing. He does not want people to perish. His will, his desire is that all people would come to the knowledge of him and be saved. This is the will of God that we would have that heart and mind here in this city. Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of God. The will of God is not to be foolish. What's foolishness? Foolishness is saying things like this. I'm not going to listen to the wisdom and counsel around me. I'm going to learn on my own. I'm going to do it my way first. Come on, you guys got to fail. Let me fail. I want to fail too. I said as a young kid, stupid. And then old men came around me and started handing me bags of gold. Wisdom. 
Stop that. Get that out of your life. Walk in these ways. Manage relationships this way. Manage your finances this way. Manage your life this way. Align it with God. Listen to the wisdom. Don't be foolish. This is the will of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Actually, 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Then he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshing to your bones if you walk with him, if you align yourself in his ways. Psalm 119, 105, your word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is my flashlight in the dark. I shine it in the path before me so I know where to go and I know what to do. It is the word of God. It is his will. He's told it to us. Micah 6, 8, you know, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He's told you what to do. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. This is his will. Matthew 6.33, and we will close. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? If you put Jesus first, you are making him the priority of your life. And in doing so, you bring more blessings to yourself and everyone around you, including your family. We're going to pray. We're going to turn our hearts to the Lord. We're going to ask for him to install his will in us. Not my will, but yours be done. And then let, let him take care of the rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we worship you, we bless you, and we thank you. And Lord, I pray for everyone here in this place. Oh God, that they would not be outside the door. No, but they would turn to you with all of their hearts, that they would be one of your disciples, one of your followers. Lord, they would be a part of the family of God. For those who received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Sons and daughters of the king. And I pray now for everyone here, Lord, calling upon you right now. I ask you would open their hearts to receive you as Lord and Savior over their life. Lord, that they would confess their sin to you in their heart. They say, Lord, I've been far from you. I've not yielded to you, but I yield to you now with all my being. And I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. I turn away from my sin. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I make you king of my life. Lead me. Lead my life. Please, Lord, install your will in me, in my heart, in my mind. Help me to know the will of God, your word. And help me to know which way to turn, to the right or to the left. Let your voice be in me, ministering through your word. Father, I pray for every person crying out to you now, asking for healing, asking for new life, asking for resurrection, that you would do that in them.
And Lord, that something supernatural would take place and they would begin to walk with you now from this day forward. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.